Hello, and welcome to the Twilio First Quarter 2023 Earnings Conference Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star 1 on your telephone keypad. I will now turn the conference over to Brian Vanneman, Senior Vice President, Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thanks, Sarah. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us for Twilio's first quarter 2023 earnings conference call. Our prepared remarks, earnings press release, investor presentation, SEC filings, and a replay of today's call can be found on our IR website at investors.twilio.com. Joining me today for Q&A are Jeff Lawson, co-founder and CEO, Elena Donio, president, Twilio Data Applications, Kazema Chip-Chandler, president, Twilio Communications, and Aiden Vigiano, Chief Financial Officer. As a reminder, some of our commentary today will include non-GAAP financial measures and key metrics, reconciliations between our GAAP and non-GAAP results, and further information related to guidance, definitions, and key metrics can be found in our earnings press release and the appendix of our prepared remarks, both of which can be found on our IR website. The information provided and discussed today also will include forward-looking statements, including statements about our future outlook and goals, these forward-looking statements are subject to known and unknown risks, uncertainties, assumptions, and other factors that are described in more detail in our most recent periodic reports filed with the SEC, including our most recent annual report on Form 10-K and our forthcoming quarterly report on Form 10-Q, which are available on our website and at sec.gov. Forward-looking statements represent our beliefs and assumptions only as of the date such statements are made. Actual results may vary significantly, and we expressly assume no obligation to update any forward-looking statement except as required by law. With that, I'll hand it over to Jeff for some opening remarks, and then we'll open the call for Q&A. Thank you, Brian. You know, before we hop into the call, I wanted to really take note of three things today. First, I wanted to note this, that the substantial actions that we took in Q1 are working. As you can see from our strong non-GAAP operating profit results, one quarter in, we're really starting to show the profit potential for this business. We're also one quarter into our new structure. And as you can see from our Q2 guide, we're looking into continued headwinds as we build the sales capacity of our data and apps business and doing that in a very tough macro environment as well. But the good news is I see our leadership role continuing and even expanding in this environment. And I don't see things like changes in our churn or us losing share in the market. I see moderation in our consumer-facing usage patterns, as well as us lapping our peak crypto usage from last year. And these are some of the headwinds that we'll, that we'll talk about. But through all of this, what I really want to do is to thank the Twilio team. We've been navigating a lot of change over the last quarter, and I see Twilio's every day navigating these changes with grace, with energy, and understanding of the job that is to be done here. And it's truly energizing for me for the rest of the leaders of the organization. That's really, truly the Twilio magic in action. So thank you. Second, I'm sure this is on people's minds. The AI platform shift is upon us. Like the PC to web transition, the web to mobile, this is the next major technology shift in our society. Working with customers, we see many ways to activate customer data in segment across the whole customer lifecycle using artificial intelligence. Now, we'll have more to say about this during the course of this quarter, and of course, at Signal in August. 
in terms of products, in terms of partnerships, and in terms of customer use cases. Really looking forward to that. Uh, and the third thing I wanted to mention today, and lastly, is go Dubs. Now, on to your questions. Thank you. If you have a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you wish to remove yourself from the queue, simply press star 1 again. Your first question comes from the line of Mark Murphy with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, so a question for Elena. You, you mentioned being in a strong position to actually re-accelerate uh, bookings later this year. And Kozema, um, in their prepared uh, remarks, you're mentioning optimism in being able to re-accelerate growth as the year uh, progresses. Um, I'm wondering if you can just shed a little light on what is underpinning that that positive thought process, and could it mean that uh, Q2 might mark a bottom, actually, for the revenue growth rate, or a local bottom uh, for the revenue growth rate? Hey, Mark, it's Elena here. I'll, I'll start, and then I'll pass it over to Kazema for some commentary on the communications business. Um, first, you know, let me just kind of walk you through the path to here to provide some context and, and groundwork for what's to come. Um, I, first of all, I joined the company a year ago, um, exactly uh, this week, and at the time, Jeff asked me to sort of re-architect and rebuild our go-to-market muscle um, and motion, and what, that's me what that meant was two things, um, one, more substantively impacted communications, and one, on the data and application space. So. We realigned, re-architected our sort of resource map and went through some of the big cost-cutting initiatives that you've seen, and you're, you're starting to see the results of that. Um, and that was, was uh, primarily around our, um, our go-to-market muscle in the comm space. At the same time, we were sort of reinvesting in the data and application space. And, and the job there has been to rebuild and grow our talent base there. So we had some, you know, early in 2022, we had some uh, turnover, some attrition, some changes in the in how we set up the sales team, which we then unwound and began to rebuild from there. And so that rebuilding effort has has taken us the last few quarters. We've, we're now fully hired for the most part, but we're not fully ramped. So we'll, we're all over that over the next couple of quarters is getting that field organization, both the a, at the AE level and the manager level, fully ramped. So right now our big focus isn't on, on enablement. It's on getting those reps from kind of their first deal to their 10th deal um, and really showing, um, really showing sort of what that team is capable of. I'm, I'm just back, several of us are just back from our delayed sales kickoff. Um, where it was a very much a training focus event and an enablement focus event. Um, and having spent a bunch of time with our people across the last few weeks, I feel really comfortable about the team that we have in place. Um, that's a big reason for optimism um, as, as you as you asked. I, I think you know we're also doing all of this work during a pretty tough macro time, as we've also talked about. We're seeing evidence of that in a couple of areas. So we've talked in the past about things like cycle length, uh, average selling prices, um, conversion rates uh, across the funnel, and a little bit of contraction. We're definitely seeing all of that at the same time that we're rebuilding, re-engaging, re-energizing a field organization. So 
With all that said, I just want to close out with the things that give us real optimism. Number one that Jeff talked about in his takeoff, we're, start, we're seeing sort of great customer wins amidst all of this. Um, I had a couple in my prepared remarks. Cricket Wireless, who was current Twilio customer, became a segment engaged customer. Uh, Web Health, a, a large BPO, becoming a, a sizable flex customer. We've had a couple of other really key wins in the financial services space uh, across this quarter and last. And so we're seeing great strides there as well as great strides in our innovation agenda. Um, our, our product teams are, are really taking down a lot of the roadmap, um, delivering a lot of new capabilities from Segment Unify to Flex Unify, which ties together Flex and Segment with some customer wins across each of those as well. So team, just our enablement journey is in full swing. Our product delivery is in full swing and bringing down some pretty exciting customer wins. Those are the things that, that give me faith that we'll begin to see ourselves climbing out of um, the trough that I think was in part uh, self-inflicted, as we talked about throughout last year, um, and in part driven by the, head, the headwinds in the economy. I'll let Kazama talk about the, the corollary on the comp side. Hey, Mark, what I would say is, I, first of all, I totally echo Elena's enthusiasm about the path ahead here. I, I think there's a lot to be excited about. Our sales kickoff was at the same time, and we kind of did them together. And so there's a lot of energy among um, the sales rep force. So just to maybe go to that first, first of all, sales rep productivity remains uh, quite high. As Elena mentioned, you know, we did a lot of work on cost structure. But even in spite of that, I think we feel very, very good about rep productivity Second thing is, is that um, we are maintaining share in, in what is continues to be a tough kind of macro environment. And, you know, we feel good about like a lot of our most recent customer wins. You know, we talked about two deals um, in the script specifically where, you know, they were our largest ever on, on email and silent network authentication. So I, I think those are indicators that, you know, customers are continuing to, we're, we're continuing to win with our customers they're continuing to grow with us, albeit at slower rates than, than where they were. And third, and, and perhaps most importantly, especially as you look at our financials, is like we have a really tough comp relative to last year. You know, crypto is really outsized in the way that that part of, um, you know, the impact in our business grew. And we're kind of uh, hitting the peak uh, points in as we're lapping that. And so I think just naturally as we um, come out of the next couple quarters, you're going to see just some natural acceleration in the growth rate as a result of that. I would hesitate to call it bottom. I mean, it's very dynamic, obviously. And so I don't think we're necessarily prepared to say that, but I think we're very, very excited about the setup for the back half of the year and especially with our energy with customers. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mark. Your next question comes from the line of Meta Marshall with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Great, thanks. Uh, appreciate it. I just wanted to, you know, you mentioned kind of anniversary and peak crypto, but if you could just give a sense of you know, what verticals you're seeing the most headwinds, and then just on the communication side, like what does reduced marketing budget mean? Is that we cut certain use cases? Do we just kind of send fewer emails or, you know, is it just simply from a reduction in transactions? I think just as we try to kind of think about how to model a recovery, just trying to get a sense of how those use cases um, or the bounce back would evolve. Thanks. Hi, Mita. This is Aiden. I'll start and I'll uh, hand it over to Kazema. So just to talk about some of the uh, industry headwinds, we've called some of them out in the past and we continue to see 
headwinds persist on the social side, consumer on demand, e-commerce, and uh, in particular, crypto. So those continued in the quarter. And as it relates to crypto, again, as Kozema said, we saw volume peak on our platform kind of in the Q2, Q3-ish timeframe last year. And that's creating a few hundred base points headwind year over year on growth. So Kozema, I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, I mean, I would largely echo um, what Aiden said. I mean, I, I think, as, as she mentioned, crypto was pretty significant last year. And so as we lap that, I think we feel pretty good about our ability to come out of that. I think the marketing spend that we referred to was much more on kind of the customer side, if you will, not necessarily on our side. And so, you know, obviously some of our um, products end up serving use cases that are marketing related. And so as customer marketing volumes have come down a little bit, you know, frankly, that impacts both sides of our business uh, to a degree, but it, it, it honestly impacts probably the communications business a bit more significantly up front. You know, we talked about the dynamics and media. I mean, you know, the company really well, you know, and on the way up, like we react very, very quickly. And on the way down, unfortunately, we react very, very quickly. And so as things kind of moderate, I'm really optimistic that we'll be able to come out of it pretty fast. And uh, otherwise, it's kind of business as usual. I mean, Aiden called out some of the industries, but otherwise, we continue winning, we continue expanding, and, and we continue to maintain our share. And we're not seeing really any pricing pressure out there either. So feel pretty good otherwise. Great, thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Michael Turin with Wells Fargo Securities. Please go ahead. Hey, great. Thanks. I appreciate you taking the question. Um, just on on guidance and what's assumed, given there are a number of mo moving pieces mentioned in the prepared remarks, can, can you just maybe walk through what you're assuming in terms of the macro and what you're seeing in expansion rates? Is this a consistent environment that's assumed? And then just also thinking through the progression of some of the go-to-market improvements that you're making, is there a way for us just to think about the timeline and, and progression of where expected benefits from those might start to play through. Thanks very much. Here, I'll start with um, a bit on the second quarter, and then uh, this is Aiden, by the way, and then go a little uh, a little bit into um, some of the traction for the year. So it's largely macro as we think about the second quarter. So the market continues to be pretty dynamic, and we're feeling the impacts of a broader slow slowdown. And so you see that reflected in our guide. I think the other thing that's important to remember is that the majority of our revenue comes from our communications business, about 85% of our revenue. And as Kozema just, just said, that's a consumption model tied to consumer activities. So in that business, we are dealing with a combination of macro as well as the tough comparisons that we just talked about on crypto. Um, and so again, that, that's creating a headwind year over year as it relates to the second quarter growth rate. On the data and application side, uh, Elena has talked about it as well, but we are rebuilding. Uh, Elena talked about our efforts there to ramp up the sales force and really enable the team uh, further. And we're also doing that in a tougher macro cycle. So I'd say on the communication side, it's a combination of macro, some tough comparisons. On the software side, it's a mix of our efforts to rebuild plus some macro, and we factored all of this into our guide. So I'd say some choppiness on growth in the short term, but Despite that, you know, we're focused on what we can control, which is delivering profit in, in any environment. Um, as we think about the rest of the year, you know, we're not going to um, guide uh, quarter to quarter. We're going to continue to guide quarter to quarter. We're not going to guide beyond the second quarter um, at this point. Again, given the fact that most of our revenue is communications and usage-based, makes it a little bit tougher to call 
like in light of that, we'll continue to plan conservatively, guide quarter to quarter. I think the, the other thing to consider is, you know, as the macro recovers and the consumption-based model comes back, you know, our growth will improve, our DVNE will improve alongside it, and we'll be well positioned on the other side with a much more efficient cost structure. I appreciate the detailed answer. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Ryan McWilliams with Barclays. Please go ahead. Thanks for taking the question. Um, just one housekeeping piece. How much potentially is the potential sale of your IoT business um, potentially taken out of the second quarter guide? And are there any products or geographies where you're currently de-emphasizing revenue as part of these go-to-market changes? Thanks. So as it relates to, this is Aiden and Ryan, uh, thanks for the question. So as it relates to the sale of our IoT business, it's a relatively small contributor on revenue. It's in kind of the mid to high single digit millions. Um, we'll provide some more of that as we um, uh, go forward. It will be adjusted out of our organic calculations going forward as well. So you'll get an apples to apples comparison on revenue growth, but relatively um, small contributor overall. As it relates to any specific regions, um, no plans to de-emphasize uh, revenue in certain uh, geos. Your next question comes from the line of Itai Kidron with Oppenheimer and Company. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks. <clears throat> My question is for Elena. Um, I was wondering if you can kind of double click on the data, data and application business, and more specifically, when you look at the growth of the unit in the quarter, help us understand what uh, what products are growing faster versus below this average uh, segment, engage, flex, marketing, which ones are growing faster than the 19% you delivered versus lower. And then since we don't have the historical data on this, um, maybe you could talk about uh, what deteriorated the most over the last two, three quarters and in what part perhaps you expect to recover the fastest over the next two or three quarters? Thank you. Sure. So we don't break out um, product by product. Um, and just I'll remind you a couple of things. One, a number of these products are new. So the Unify product, um, Engage, like a lot of those things have only been in market for from months to a handful of quarters. And so um, we're excited about the momentum and the progress, but we're, you, we shouldn't expect to see those in, uh, meaningfully impact the, the Twilio data and applications business units revenue um, in the very near term. Um, again, we, don't, we won't be breaking that out product by product. Um, I would just say and reiterate something I said earlier that the real path out of uh, the real path to reacceleration, the real path out of this deceleration, comes down to two things. Number one is making sure that our team is in seat and enabled. We're putting a lot of emphasis on that. Um, and then number two is just playing through the tough macro environment and really making sure that we're setting ourselves apart from what hap what's happening in the competitive landscape and ensuring customers that even in a time of belt tightening, this is a really good investment and it makes each of your marketing dollars work harder to meet this question earlier. Um, that's really what we're playing for right now. Um, but at the end of the day, like I would say a lot of the same themes are hitting both our flex and segment products largely. Um, and we're working on ramping and, and building the team to work through that. 
when you look into the next quarter guide, is there another significant step down assumed in this business from a year-over-year growth standpoint? This business was not impacted by crypto. So I'm just trying to understand the drag on the next quarter, how much of that is the communication business versus the data and applications business? Yeah, hi, Itai. This is Aiden. I'll take that. Um, so we don't provide guidance by business unit on revenue, but as you think about the second quarter, uh, you can generally assume that the slower growth is attributable to both businesses. Though I would say, given the much larger size of communications, it obviously has a bigger impact on our consolidated growth. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Taylor McGinnis with UBS. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my question. Just looking at the the 1Q um, rev, so 1Q rev declined sequentially, and the 2Q guide, I think even if you strip out IoT, assumes something similar. I know you mentioned that there hasn't been much change in churn, so can you just provide more color on, on the drivers there? It seems like it might be some seasonality, but if that's the case, um, as we look throughout the rest of the year, any other seasonal patterns to keep in mind? Yeah, I'll, I'll start here, and then if Lynn and Kazema want to add, they can. Um, you're right. On a churn overall has been, you know, relatively consistent. Where we are seeing some impacts is we are seeing a bit higher contraction. Again, uh, really, we think due to just lower spending on the part of our customers, and we we attribute that to the macro. On the expansion side, we are seeing that at a bit lower rates than where we've been historically. And again, we think that's customers being budget conscious, scrutinizing their spend, and, you know, that's really a function of the macros, uh, the macro. The one area where we are seeing a little bit of an impact on new business, Elena's already talked about it, but is on the data and application side. And as she has mentioned, you know, we expect uh, to gain traction there over the years. We ramp our sales, for, sales force, and we expect bookings to reaccelerate towards the end of the year. That just gives you a little bit of color. In terms of how to, you know, think about uh, revenue for the rest of the year, we're going to continue to guide quarter to quarter, just given how dynamic the macro is. The only other thing I'll call out, which we have uh, already, is that we do have some tough comparisons here in the second quarter. I would just say just a little bit more color on on contraction for, for Tulio data and applications. I think the, the good news there is that when we see contraction, it is not that we're seeing competitive loss or competitive, competitive takeouts and things like that. It's really just customers belt tightening, um, their marketing spend going down, or their transaction usage, for example, on segment, their utilization on segment just going down because they're contracting. Um, and so we take heart in the fact that, you know, the, the product is extremely valuable, extremely usable, um, but they're, you know, as customers are going through tough times of their own, um, we see that show up in some of the contraction numbers that we're seeing. So feel good competitively, um, but we, we've got obviously a, a co contraction happening that is a, a newer dynamic over the past few quarters. Appreciate you. This is McCuller. Thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Derek Wood with Cohen. Please go ahead. Uh, great, thanks. Uh, this is for Kazama. Um, you know, one of the questions we had was whether growth in consumption from the base would be impacted by uh, the sales restructuring, um, since you were you were taking so many reps out of that business. 
With given given the, the net revenue retention rate down at 106, how much of that pressure is coming from the macro versus how much is kind of the pullback in your own growth investments? And you know, as you look at a, a few months into your new low touch structure, you know, what's what do you feel like's working well? What do you feel like uh, you'd like to see some improvements on? Yeah, that's a good question, Derek. Um, I would say, in general, I would attribute it almost all to macro. I, I think the the reduction in investments that we made on the sales and marketing side, I think that they were difficult decisions, obviously, that that we went through, and obviously there was impact to employees, and and you know we feel bad about that. But I do think that with the the going into it, and now with the benefit of hindsight, that it was absolutely the right thing to do. Um, and that we're seeing the benefits of, of the efficiency. You can see those uh, fall through the bottom line. And I think in terms of any impact on DB&E and or overall growth, like we're just not seeing it right now. So what I would say is, is working is that, you know, kind of in this BU structure, I think having reps aligned to a certain set of products that are very tightly aligned to an economic buyer on the other side that matches the product set I think that has been hugely impactful uh, for our business. I know Elena would say the exact same thing uh, about her business as well. And so I think adopting this BU structure in that way um, is proving to be very, very useful. I think the two other things that I would call out specific communications is as a result of those reductions, we tilted much more towards a self-service product-led growth-oriented go-to-market motion. And I think we're definitely seeing a lot of really successes there. You know, there are various aspects of the experience, um, like onboarding, like compliance, like uh, cross-selling, like getting additional products into the bundle um, that we're just working on making a lot easier for customers so that they can adopt, you know, Twilio really um, at, a, at a speed that, that they want to be able to operate at versus us, at, you know, having to gate any of that. So I think that's been quite good. Um, I'd say, you know, we probably tilted a little bit more towards marketing dollars versus, you know, kind of rep-oriented dollars. And so I think that's worked uh, pretty well, too. It's obviously all a, uh, a work in progress still, but I feel really good about where things are headed and, and cautiously optimistic about where things are going for the back half of the year. Got it. Thanks for the color. Thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Nick Altman with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Yeah, uh, thanks, guys. Just building on Derek's question, it it sounds like you guys haven't seen much pressure on the growth side of the equation from the communication side, from the headcount reduction uh, and some of the go-to-market changes. And so I'm just wondering, can you maybe parse out for us, like, how significant those changes were on the communication side? I mean, I know you guys have talked about, you know, sort of this reversion to low-touch model um, but is there any way to sort of give more granularity around, you know, what's the split of quota carrying reps focusing on, you know, data apps uh, versus communications? And then just as that sort of progresses throughout um, 2023, uh, how will you guys sort of measure that um, impact and, and make changes, so to speak? Like if the communication side sort of sees further growth, decel, will you start to sort of, you know, allocate more reps to that side of the business? Just any more granularity around that would be uh, super helpful. Thanks. Sure. So this is Kazema. Um, I can start the answer, and then if Elena wants to add some additional color, um, she will. But I think what's important to remember as we went through the the restructurings uh, that we did over the last six eight months is that 
they were almost entirely uh, impacting the, the communications business. There were impacts to other G&A categories, um, but otherwise they were almost entirely impacting the communications business. And so as you think about the costs that came out of the business, it was, it was really largely out of communications. Um, in fact, you know, to say it a little bit differently, in the, in the data and applications business, as, as Elena mentioned in some of her remarks earlier, in fact, what we're trying to do is make good investments right now because we see a really big opportunity going forward. And we think it, we'd be remiss, quite frankly, if we weren't investing through this cycle. And so, you know, in a way, like we're, we're trying to optimize for profit on the communication side while continuing to optimize for growth on, on the data and application side. We haven't historically given a split of, of rep count or, or anything like that, like between businesses or, or how that splits necessarily between products. What I would say about that though, is we did definitely make reductions in rep count as it related to our communications business. I mean, that, that was part of kind of getting ourselves much more towards a self-serve oriented motion. We retain reps on strategic accounts, obviously those that are kind of larger spenders, more enterprise-like, and then we continue to grow our rep count in, in the data and applications business. So hopefully that provides you with some additional color. I, I can't go exactly there in terms of the rep split. I would just add because we, you know, Sam and I partnered on this together and, and um, we started orchestrating this move when I was still in the head of go to market role. I, like I would say we looked at what is the ROI of each cohort of sellers and, and supporting roles within the go to market organization and really took a close look at where, you know, a rep in was yielding discontinuous growth and where it wasn't, we cut that out and we made a, a, a concerted effort to make sure that sort of everywhere we are at injecting human capital, we're seeing a return for it. And, and sort of, that's how I think about the fitness level that we've created across go-to-market now in both communications and data and applications. Yeah. And I guess just what, the last thing I would add, Nick, is that, you know, in spite of all these changes that we've kind of undergone in the communications business, We've maintained share, customers have stayed on the platform. We haven't seen any elevated churn and you know, we continue winning with some really material accounts. So that to me is a, a significant number of proof points that things are moving in the right direction. There's obviously more work to do, but um, you know, starting off the year with um, strong profitability, which is kind of where we were oriented is, was really important for us. And you know, now the rest of it is execution. Great. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Samad Samana with Jeffries. Please go ahead. Hi. Good evening. Thanks for taking my question. So, you know, I wanted to ask maybe um, on the software side of the business, and, and I was a little bit late, so I apologize if, if this has already been asked, but just as you think about the – I know you're investing for growth, but if you think about the booking trends, even as maybe customer spend on marketing is a little bit less, just – how should we think about the the changes and how that's driving maybe leads into the pipeline, the type of conversation that you're having? Is it is it changing the nature of, of where customers are viewing you versus just maybe the near-term financial results, which have been impacted by, by all the changes? And then I have a follow-up. Great. I'll take that. It's Elena here. Um, so we don't disclose our booking metrics, but 
um, we did say in prepared remarks and probably throughout the first question um, that we are seeing headwinds of a couple different flavors. I think the first thing for you to take away is that um, of the of the sort of work we're doing to rebuild, reorient, and specialize the organization, like that work's still in progress. And so while we're making great strides there, we've hired the team, we've got dedicated sellers um, in place for both segment and flex, and that's what makes up the Twilio data and applications business or software business, as you called it. Um, the heads are in seat, but they're not fully ramped. And, and that's what we're working on over the next couple of quarters is making sure that these reps are are ramped and fully productive and have what they need to be successful. Um, so we're, we're working through that. Um, we expect to hit that stride over the next couple of quarters, but that we're also doing that during a, a tough macro time period. You mentioned uh, marketing spend and things like that. And that is exactly the sort of customer messaging breakthrough that we're seeking to have and making sure that customers continue to allocate budget to these kinds of things because we think that they're particularly helpful in this kind of a time where we're where we're producing things like a return on ad spend that's higher than it would be without segment. And so that messaging is really important right now, but at the same time, we do see substantive, um, you know, like we, we do see headwinds from a macro perspective. So customers, you know, adding people to the sales cycle, adding approval levels, which, which will elongate sales cycles. We see uh, a little, a small decrement in, in average selling price and, and things like that. Um, and so we're, we're playing through that period of time, but um, we feel good about the wins that we're seeing and the innovation that we're, we're uh, laying down in order to, number one, play through this time, but number two, prepare ourselves really well for um, as spend comes back online, we think we're first in line to go take it. Great. And then maybe just a follow-up. There's been some scuttlebutt. Google recently was talking about um, rolling out something called pass keys, which is meant to, to kind of limit the amount of 2FA that you need and or changing just the nature of, of passwords in general and maybe accessing different apps and websites. I'm curious if you guys have any thoughts on maybe what the opportunity is for Twilio. I know 2FA has been a, a revenue driver in the past and just how you guys are thinking about that and maybe what you're doing um, as how we get authenticated evolves over time. And if you have any thoughts on that, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. It's about, this is Jeff. I'll, I'll answer that one. So, you know, the way I think about um, authentication these days is basically, you know, there's there's typically multiple forms. There's something you know, there's something you have, et cetera. And that's what we've come to understand is best practices for how to authenticate yourself. And past keys are really um, evolving the evolution of past works, right? And they're easier to use. They're more secure. You can't reuse them. There's a lot of advantages uh, to using um, this for um, uh, instead of a password, but the it's like almost like as if you know the computer is generating the password for you, uh, as opposed to you having to type it in and remember it. It's a way to maybe simplify the the notion there. But what it doesn't do is provide you any information about who is this customer. Like how do I identify them? How do I know who they are? And that's things where like an email address or a phone number actually provide a notion of a person and their identity as opposed to just a way to uh, have a, a shared secret or some way to, to re-authenticate yourself. And so these things typically work together. And if you think about our Verify product, Twilio Verify is actually, you know, it does the identity verification of saying you are who you, saying you are who you, or uh, proving you are who you say you are, but it also does the work of saying, and this customer has this phone number, 
And therefore, like, I know who that is. I can talk to them at that phone number. Um, when they come back to, to me, I know who they are. And so I think that FIDO and WebAuthN, which, you know, passkey is basically, um, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, the same thing. It's uh, a way of essentially presenting a password that is more secure, but it doesn't provide a sense of identity. Who is this person? Here's an email address, a phone number, something you can use to actually contact them and uniquely identify them in the world. That's what we offer. And so these things actually work uh, well together. And we've been evolving our offering in terms of, uh, you know, things like Verify that, that offer um, uh, silent network authentication, as well as other forms of uh, identity verification, like through WhatsApp, all wrapped up into one really nice product. And that product is selling uh, really well. If you'll see, we had a very large um, Fortune 100 uh, entertainment company that we uh, sold the largest verified deal um, to, as well as a very large um, AI company that we sold verified to uh, in this past quarter. And so the product is selling very nicely, even in an environment where uh, Fido and WebAuthN have been getting a lot more traction um, for a number of years. Great, Jeff. That's very helpful. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Your next question comes from the line of Matt Stodler with William Blair. Please go ahead. Hey, guys. Uh, this is Alex Bastian for Matt. Thanks for taking my question. I uh, just wanted to speak about the partner channel. Uh, if you could talk to any updates you might have there, especially with the GSIs and the regional SIs, uh, how are you enabling those partners? Do you have any thoughts on expanding the partner contribution going forward? Thanks. Um, I will take that one. It's Eleni here on the data and application side. Um, we see a, a, a big role for partners, um, both today and going forward. We've got a vibrant ecosystem of partners, and particularly uh, partners on the on the SI side, not just global SIs, but regional as well. And so um, I'd, I'd say that the SI community is performing well in the segment ecosystem as well as Flex. Those tend to be different partners. Um, we also have a couple of others that I wouldn't necessarily put in the SI um, bucket, but are, I think, pretty interesting for us today. Um, Segment's a top partner within the AWS ISV Accelerate program, um, which connects uh, AWS sellers into our sales process. We're seeing some good deals from that. Um, and then on the, on the Flex side, we've got several partners that sort of span just the, the SI world, but also um, build product um, side by side with Flex as well. Um, and so, you know, I'd say that we are, I've said over the past couple of calls actually that, that this is an area of focus and investment for us. I think we're seeing some good green shoots there. Lots, lots more to do. I don't know if Kasema has anything to add on the comp side. No, we're good. Thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Fred Havemeyer with Macquarie Capital. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you. Um, I wanted to ask about some of the segment wins that you were talking about there. I think the selection of customers was actually quite interesting. You have a healthcare company, you have a database company, you have a wireless company that has a more expansive relationship uh, with Twilio. So, you know, can you talk about perhaps some of the use cases that these companies are are using segment for and where those those uh, companies are finding value right now with Segment. Yeah, you know, Segment's super interesting. We talk a lot about B2C, and there's definitely fantastic brands that are direct to consumer or have a big consumer element to what they do that 
are really out there working to uh, uh, find, identify, engage, acquire, um, and and just better nurture those kinds of relationships in a way that is cost effective, really fast and pithy, and and um, and gives them the ability to do things that they that they can't do with their traditional kind of cobbled together CRM infrastructure. That said, um, uh, uh, there, we do have a percentage of our segment customer populations that's also B2B. And some people that play in both B2B and B2C that are, um, that are finding ways to, to sort of cross-pollinate their own channels and their own customer identities using the power of segment. And so um, we see customers do everything from sort of the, the core sort of data platform use cases and really using us for things that are, that are quite simple but hard to pull off. Um, and then we have we have customers and a growing set of customers that are um, adding on capabilities. So engage, for example, in and our new Unify capability that we talked about in our prepared remarks. So um, those are a couple of things that we're doing. I think long game, um, we expect the customer data platform to sort of be at the center, but for there to be a lot that we do with that. And so from engage from the from engage, for example, um, actually engaging your customers out via our different communications channels to um, utilizing segment information to have better experiences with Flex in the call center or in a, a, a digital sort of in-app communication mechanism that, that a customer might be using with Flex. So we see a ton of extension capability here um, with that CDP as the center. Elena, thank you. Um, I think it's a follow-up question. I was noticing that top 10 customer accounts are now down to about uh, 10% of total revenue. I wanted to ask, is that a function of just diversification of Twilio's revenue base, or is there anything to read in there in terms of how your top customers are also trending their own usage of Twilio? Hi, this is Aiden. I'll take that. Um, yes, yeah, largely a function of continued diversification. Uh, we, we are well diversified across industries, across customers. And so that continued. I'd, I'd say in terms of lower usage, uh, we have seen that generally across uh, the communications and the, the T, uh, DNA business, and that's, again, a largely a function of the macro, but um, as it relates to the top 10, it's, it's continued diversification. Thank you. You know, Fred, this is Jeff. This is Jeff. You know, you asked about some use cases for segment, and, you know, I thought I'd expand because I think there's a few that are, that are interesting that I, I thought would be worth sharing because, one of the really cool things about Segment and having this customer data is, like a great platform, um, once the customer puts it in, I think they find that there are multiple, like many benefits of having the customer data in a spot, having it clean, having it um, uh, good governance over it, and then ways in which you can activate it across many different um, parts of the customer lifecycle. And so, you know, I was talking to a, uh, you know, global Fortune 100 this morning about, um, uh, you know, a segment opportunity. And they rattled off, like, you know, five different use cases from CRM to personalization uh, across properties to tracking uh, their customers across multiple acquisitions they had done and knowing if a customer in one customer base was the same as the customer of another part of the customer base, and so they could do more effective cross-selling and more effective retention of those customers. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, in M&A cases, for example, those, there are great opportunities because you have different identifiers for customers. You know, there's one customer that I think is a great uh, neat use case that I really like, which is they brought in segment 
uh, so that they could personalize their IVRs. And the idea was, you know, the thing they had seen was if you are trying to log in, say, to the website or a mobile app, and you, you know, consistently can't log in, like, you know, your password's not working, uh, they can see that in real time using Segment and flag your profile as someone who is likely, you know, having a password uh, problem. And when you call in, which probably at the scale of this customer happens, you know, I don't know, 100,000 times a day or whatever, um, they will put the first thing in the IVR is having issues logging in, press one. It was ordinarily you have to go like 10 menus deep to get to that one probably. But for you, because they saw your behavior on the website is clearly you're having trouble logging in, they dynamically reprogram that. I mean, like, these are the kinds of use cases we see customers building across many different parts of their uh, customer lifecycle, marketing, sales, product, service, support, uh, that allow uh, customers to serve their customers better. And that's why I think data as a platform uh, in, in segment is, is such a great product. Aiden, Jeff, thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Alex Zuckin with Wolf Research. Please go ahead. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the question. I guess maybe just the first question is um, the gross margins in the quarter were, were actually better, uh, I think, than, than we anticipated. And I think they're the best performance in the last – since Q1 of last year. You know, it is – International didn't go down as a percentage of the total revenue. Um, it, was there something else that, you know, you're maybe walking away from, from business more that, that had a lower gross margin in the quarter? I know that we're not guiding to it, but at least from a trend lining perspective, um, how should we think about that? And then I've got a quick follow-up for Jeff. Yeah, hi, uh, Alex. This is Aiden. Yeah, so it was 52.3% in the quarter, and that was up sequentially about 170 basis points. So that was positive, um, although I would say, you know, we'll continue to see variability on this line. And so it's largely a function of the mix of products and also within the messaging business, the mix of ge geography where the traffic terminates, which is a little bit different than the uh, international percent of revenue that you're looking at, which is based on customer headquarters. And what we saw this quarter relative to last quarter, there was a different mix in terms of where traffic was terminating, and that drove the, the, the better gross margin overall. As we think about, uh, you know, going forward and, and how to think about this, we're really orienting the business more to gross profit dollars and to gross margin rates, uh, given the strong unit economics, in particular in the messaging business. Um, and so that'll continue to be our focus uh, as, as we move forward is really orienting the team to gross profit dollar generation. And as long as we can do that with the right cost structure, we think that's um, good business to keep, keep doing. Got it. And then maybe, uh, Jeff, one for you. You, you talked about um, AI and generative AI uh, with respect to segment and CDP. I guess one uh, common question we get is you know, the notion of, uh, bi-directional messaging, conversational messaging, seems like that uh, that trend is having a, a massive uh, moment uh, right now in the marketplace. Can you maybe talk about, you know, the puts and takes and the potential tailwinds to the communication side of the business from uh, Generative AI, what you're seeing in customer conversations that you're having, existing or new, uh, around that? Yeah, so just to give you a quick backdrop, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of a call that, you know, generative AI is the next platform shift in technology. And by the way, it's not tech in technology, it's, it's actually in society. 
Um, and if you think about the uh, when these shifts occur, like the PC or you know the arrival of the PC, then the PC to the web, and the web to mobile, right? You can see the kind of disruption that occurs in market after market when these transformations happen. In fact, it's interesting. There was a Wall Street Journal headline today that says, you know, is this the iPhone moment? Uh, and I think absolutely, I would answer yes, yes it is. Now there's an interesting question though. Um, you know, if you remember the early days of, you know, say the web, where companies were trying to figure out, oh, what do we, what do we do? Do we have a brochure on the site? Remember when companies used to say, like, we're not allowed to link off of our site because there's a legal problem with that. Everyone was like, what? So people have to figure out how to use these new technologies in the corporate setting. And I think that's what the conversations I'm having with customers now are exactly that. Right? Is this ready for an enterprise use case? Or is a bot that I put in front of my customer going to start like talking, saying stuff that I don't want to say? Right? Is it going to start having a dialogue with my customers about you know, God knows what? Or are they going to stay on topic and talk about my products and my services and all that kind of stuff? And so I think that's where a lot of the work is going right now. And I think there's really good questions that are getting answered um, every day that we, work we are doing, work others are doing in terms of like how to keep these, uh, these large language models on topic and provide boundaries for them so that they are useful in a corporate context. And that stuff is getting resolved, I think, pretty quickly. And so the conversation, I'll, I'll, I'll put you into a conversation I had with a customer recently, which I think is indicative of what I think is going to happen. It was, I was talking to a customer, a very large financial services company, and they were telling me how they had spent the last seven years uh, building out all of the intents to have a bot for their service use cases that could contain, you know, customer calls, right? Containment is the, you know, didn't have to reach a, a person. And they said, well, if containment was, you know, after seven years of work or whatever, it was about 40%. And so 60% of the calls made it through your community. And I asked, and, you know, we were talking about large language models. And I said, you know, do you think you're going to keep that investment? Or do you think you're going to start from scratch in the large language model world? And the customer said, no, we'll keep that investment. But, you know, hopefully large language models will help us, you know, move it forward from 40% up, up from there. And through the course of the conversation, we talked a lot about what's possible in the architecture of these new language models and how they can work with segment customer data and things like this. And at the end of the conversation, I asked again, do you think you're going to keep that 40%, uh, you know, the investment you made over the last seven years that got you to 40% containment? And the, 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 the customer said, no, it's going in the garbage can, right? Like every decision we've made for the last seven years about what's possible is now like a relic of the past. And is re-opted for, uh, for re-litigation uh, and potentially new approaches, new vendors, uh, new ways of implementing it because the large language model world just upends what is possible. And I think that is why it is a gift in terms of, creating new opportunities for uh, companies, you know, like Twilio, who is helping our customers activate their customer data across the customer lifecycle, uh, take, you know, CRM, which has historically been this like kind of sleepy area of like a, just a database, now activate it, make it useful across many different touch points. Uh, large language models are an absolute gift. And I'm very happy that we bought Segment when we did, because the data that is in Segment enables a company to customize these interactions based on who they're talking to, the end user, the customer of our customer. And that is very powerful. So anyway, this is, this is day zero of large language models. Um, and uh, you'll be hearing more from us uh, in the course of this quarter. Obviously, we have Signal in August. 
and I would not be a responsible technology leader if, if AI wasn't prominently a part of what we're talking about at Signal. So um, we'll have more coming, and I hope everybody joins us at Signal in August. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Your next question comes from the line of C.T. Panigrahi with Mizuho. Please go ahead. Hey, guys. It's Phil on for City. Thanks for taking my question. In your, in your prepared remarks, you guys noted a flex win with a major financial services company. Would love to learn a bit more about this win. Was it sourced through an SI partner? And how well is Flex um, positioned to compete with the other CCAS vendors? Yeah, so uh, a couple things. Um, we, uh, I don't believe that one was partner sourced, um, but um, it's a deal we've been working on for a few few quarters. Um, they are, it is a legacy takeout, um, and it is sort of a, a contact center specific use case. Um, but I would say, like, because you asked about Flex, um, that's really not our only use case. Um, we're starting to see sort of a coalescing around three or four key things that we see really playing well in the market. So first is sort of this in-app digital communication, in-app digital concierge uh, kind of capability. And we see a lot of great direct-to-consumer brands um, utilizing Flex in that way. Secondly is sort of a high-touch contextual sales kind of moment. And we see sort of large retailers and some other financial institutions playing in that area. And then lastly is sort of our, our core contact center um, use cases in the service and support area. Um, and this uh, example that you mentioned um, happens to live right in that area. And that's the one that was in our prepared remarks today. Okay, thanks. Your final question comes from the line of Michael Funk with Bank of America. Please go ahead. Yeah, thank you for squeezing me in here. Um, two, if I could, quickly. So, Aiden, one, one for you, if I if I could. And the operating margin guidance for for 2Q, I saw you called out a number of factors pressuring that sequentially. Um, however, I, I would have thought the full quarter of the headcount reduction, potentially positive mix shift, would have offset the reversal, for example, that you called out other things. Um, are there other factors going into that? So we try to, uh, thanks for the question, Michael. So we try to be pretty transparent about this in the prepared remarks because we are expecting profit to be down quarter over quarter. So I gave a lot of information there and I recognize it's a little bit counterintuitive given the timing of the restructuring in the first quarter. So let me just like walk through some of the pieces and, and uh, I'll, I'll talk about, you know, what will continue uh, beyond the second quarter as well. So First, the first quarter benefited from a $12 million, $12 million one-time accrual reversal related to the sunsetting of our employee sabbatical program. That won't repeat in the second quarter or beyond. We guided to lower quarter over quarter revenues, which directly impacts our, our gross profit as well as our operating profit. And then we expect a number of different cost items to be a headwind quarter over quarter. First, uh, merit goes into effect in the second quarter as it does every year. And so that will obviously go into effect uh, Q2 and, and um, for the rest of the year. Uh, we're moving some employees, you talked about this in the prior earnings call, but we're moving some employees to cash bonuses from equity-based awards. This is for a subset of our employee base, but it'll help moderate stock-based compensation uh, expense growth going forward. And that, But that in the period presents an OPEX headwind. We've also made some changes to our incentive compensation structures for the communication sales team to better align to Twilio's financial goals. 
And while that doesn't result in any difference in cash being paid to a, a specific sales executive, there's a bit of a difference, difference in accounting in terms of what is incurred in period versus what is deferred over time. And so that creates a little bit of a headwind. And then lastly, um, we do expect more normalized levels of marketing and travel spend in the second quarter. I'd say we we're pretty light in the first quarter, just uh, post the reorganization as teams were settling into the new structures. We just didn't spend as much as we had planned we would. And so all of those items, uh, more, more than offset the full quarter benefit of the restructuring actions that we announced in February, but we're still guiding to 65 to 75. We raised the low end of our guide for the year to 275 to 350, um, and we're tracking really well, uh, you know, to date. That's very helpful, Color. I appreciate it. Thank you. This concludes the conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now 